Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. This is GoPowerCat.com publisher Tim Fitzgerald. Thank you for listening to this PowerCat podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode of the PowerCat podcast by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast network. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming a subscriber to GoPowerCat.com. We cover the Wildcats like no one else with our VIP customers enjoying one-of-a-kind coverage from our team of professional journalists. And sign up today for an annual subscription to GPC and grab a 30% discount on your first year. And now here's the PowerCat Podcast. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Questions podcast, presented by Fridge Wholesale Liquor, and it starts right now. Now, let's go to the WTC gig-powered studios. Here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Questions podcast, where you ask the questions at Wabash Station, and by you, I mean our subscribers, and then we provide our answers, unless we don't know, and then we sit here and stare at each other. We do that often. I'm Tim Fitzgerald. That's Riley Gates. This is Zach Carlson. This is your crew. We're like a dance crew, but with words. You realize when you say, this is Riley Gates, that is Zach Carlson, it means nothing if I haven't spoken yet. That was Riley Gates. Zach Carlson's to my left, looking damn handsome. Thanks. I think the proper thing to say is, hello, ladies. Not wearing his rich man. Are you, are you, is it cold enough to start wearing your rich jacket yet? Rich jacket? Oh, no, sorry. You you bought the hat, the Canada Goose hat. My bad. I forgot. I don't. I don't make Canada Goose money. <laughs> you bought the hat, and we're off the rails. Welcome to the podcast. We're sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. They're never off the rails. They are on the rails of selling delicious alcohol treats to you and your kids. What? No, <laughs> to you and your family. There. Can you that, go into a liquor store and like better if you needed a case of pop, say, and you want to go to the fridge? Could you buy that if you're under twenty one? I would imagine so. I've always wondered that. But I'm not sure you're supposed to be in there to do so. And I don't know, is it is it you can't purchase items from a liquor store? You can't purchase alcoholic well, you can items? Well, pur- you can't purchase alcoholic items, but I guess what I don't understand is if you can legally be in the liquor store. So you can like, be in it. Like someday uh, when you're a man with young children. Well, I would always go in a liquor store with my parents when I was younger. Well, that's Beloit. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, I, I wonder if you'll be able to take little Jesse and Joe into the liquor store with you. Is Jesse a boy or a girl? Jesse doesn't know. <laughs> Why did you? Jesse's still working this out. Why did you name his kids after 2015 quarterbacks? <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of weird. That's, That's very funny. Hmm. hmm. Someone throw the ball to the tight end. How are our questions this week? They're good. There's a lot of, like, I almost wanted to say, like, 
we should do two podcasts. But then I was like, oh, we have a lot of podcasts, and we don't have the time to do two podcasts. <laughs> Quality yeah, questions. Up. Good. That's good. The segment is brought to you by Tanner's. I made it into Tanner's twice this weekend. How? It was an exhausting weekend for me because I don't go out anymore. And I had about 40 fraternity brothers in town on Friday. Well, they were here Saturday, too. But I went out to see them on Friday. It was fantastic. Good for the soul to see your brothers. And then uh, on Saturday night, one of my good buddies, who we've never had a beer together, was in town, was at the at the game, and then came down to see me. And we met at Tanner's, and he had had a few beers before he got there. Mm, good for him. <clears throat> yes. We heard great stories. About I love those weekends. Those days. I was pretty tired on Sunday. I was exhausted on Sunday. And on Monday, I edited 40 photos for you. So you have this plethora of photos from which to choose for future stories. And then today, I was at the press conference and thought, I never did my postgame grades. <laughs> because I did photos one day and rested the other. Hmm. So they're up now. Photos are oh, nice. they were up Tuesday. The photos are great. Steve Adelson, our guy's big time. <clears throat> Let's get it going here. Tanner's is great. The fridge is great. Zach is great. And the questions are great because Riley picked them and you ask them, and I'm somewhere above average. <laughs> and Riley's great. Riley's great. Yeah. Just had to hear you say it. Riley's great. Is this your way of telling me to go? Yeah, uh, yeah, he said, here are your here, questions. Here's your questions. Oh, then Riley talked. Here's your questions from Wabash Station from Zach Carlson. Go. <laughs> here we go. Wow. Go. To start off, uh, K-Stater RLG, it was his first post ever. It might still be his only post, but he got the score perfect, 24-17. Nice so show off. Congrats. You know what? I want you to post more often, but really you should just shut it down. Remember that one time I had a post and I got the score exactly right and I decided never to post again because I can't do better than that? No, we don't remember that at all. He should post again this week and pick the cats to win. <clears throat> Speaking yes. of which, I had a weird thing happen on Saturday night. I want to I want to talk about this. So I had a couple drunk older gentlemen, and I say that with all respect because I'm older, but they were a little bit older than me, uh, and they had enjoyed their day quite a bit. And they told me, you remember so-and-so at the old site? He was always right with all of his predictions. And I'm like, I have no idea what that screen name is. I've never heard of that. It's odd. I just was like, okay, guys, have a good night. I'm going to. But I love it when they start with, hey, we don't mean to disturb you, but we're going to disturb you now. <laughs> no, you did mean to disturb me. I had just walked in. I had just sat down with my friends. I had clearly gone out of my way to meet these guys, and then you intruded. <laughs> go, guys, go. And then they got up and left. Yay. From Purple Cheese, how did we beat TCU? All stats would tell you that's a game we lose. Uh, they had more points than TCU did. Special, special teams. Yeah. I mean, the first seven points were indirectly because of the punt block. Devin Angtel kept flipping the field on TCU. And that's a situation, not to interrupt you, but the punting, usually when we when we credit punting and... Not, not to interrupt you, but I'm going to interrupt you. All right, sorry. That's Go a ahead. common saying. 
Good. When you, usually when you <laughs> usually when you give credit to a punter, it's almost like man, he kept him in the game. Hey, he did some I know. things. Keep we him lost, alive. but I felt like this was a situation where the punter was an equal. He contributed to the win rather than just he kept them alive. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, he kept. Yeah, TCU had a hundred yards more um, in yardage, but I bet you go back and look. They needed that yardage to compensate for the field position that Ankto kept putting them in. Special teams is honestly, like, it's been really good this year. And it doesn't feel like it's been good because they've only had one kicker turn because we're so narrow-minded on special teams, you know? Once they got over the muffed punts, it's been pretty good. It was good. I mean, now that uh, Joshua Youngblood's returning kickoffs, there's a little more spark there, and he had a nice 30-some yarder. So there's a little more threat. It's it's coming along, it, you know. It's they needed to take a step forward, you know. It wasn't a dynamic. Oh, everything's back to the way it was in the first three game step, but it was still a good step that led to victory. Now you're going to get your feelings hurt probably against Oklahoma, but other than getting injuries, you have nothing to lose here. Go play the game, and then move on to your final five games, and just try to keep. Getting better. Try to use this weekend against Oklahoma to continue to get better. But special teams, for me, were the reason why Kansas State ended up the opportunity to win. And plus, they made Gary Patterson said it. It was one play. They made the one play that decided the game, and that was Skylar Thompson's 61-yard run because that then changed the tone, changed the momentum, and put K-State in a position to take the lead, and they did. From AZCATO5, did the TCU game feel like a Snyder win in that it felt like we were physically dominated but somehow found a way? I've had so many people say, like, didn't that feel like an old Bill game? And ugly, and a lot of reasons they shouldn't have won it, and you could have easily seen them losing it at one point, but then they just made enough plays. You know, they made the the weird ones. They made the 61-yard run, like you just mentioned. They blocked a punt, which... I, you know, you guys talked about when was the last time K State blocked a punt. I'm having trouble thinking of like five notable punt blocks in K State. You know, that, that just doesn't happen. Punt blocks don't happen a lot. Not anymore. The, punt blocks have changed so much because of the way people are putting more guys back there to protect, and it's really a lot harder um, to get, you know, that little window in. But they identified the window. I thought it was interesting. Kleiman said on Tuesday that. Alexander hesitated on the first punt, yeah. and they told him you can't do that, and he didn't, and sure enough, he got the ball. The weirdest part of the win for me was just that they won by uh, take. I mean, you don't even hardly have to take the last drive out. Just look at the running game as a whole. It was bad. They did not run the ball all that well, but they threw the ball incredibly well and very efficiently, I thought, yeah. even though Skyler's line wasn't great. I mean, they made they made plays. I guess they what made I'm to plays say. when they needed to, including in the red zone with the two touchdown passes. It was good. I, you know, it was it was a serious sign of progress, but they still have some plenty to work on, particularly in the offensive line and tackling, which Kleiman pointed out. That was probably one of three teams in the conference they beat that day with that performance. Yeah, maybe two. Katie looked good. Yeah. yeah, it's just one game. Yeah. From KSU number one, how ballsy or not smart was that fourth and short play call? I'm assuming he means the one that they got it? In the, on the on game the final drive? drive? The one that at the end, yeah. I didn't, well, I didn't look, think it was too ballsy. 
Yeah, I I expected him to go for it. I can't remember. I didn't bring the stats in. I I can't remember where they were at the field, but it wasn't a, a gimme field goal. Right. So, no, I mean, it was into the wind a little bit, and so it wasn't a gimme field goal. And yeah, it was ballsy, but... Blake boy. probably nails it, I think. <clears throat> yeah, in all likelihood, but Kleiman's right. You want the touchdown to make them have to score a touchdown because that changes everything. Yeah, credit Skylar Thompson. He was not getting tackled. I mean, he made his way to the just past the yard marker, and on they went, and then he had another run for a touchdown. Since I don't think there's a question about it, the 61-yard run, it doesn't – I still, to, to this moment, I can't believe how open it was. And it took them so long to recognize what was happening. I'm like, where the hell are they? I thought a penalty was thrown or something, and Skyler didn't hear it, and he's taken off running. And I'm like, literally two plays before that, I looked at D, and I was like, this game's going to overtime, isn't it? Like, it just, I knew that the game was going to overtime. D looked at me, and I, this is truthful. It looked at me, and I said, they're going to win. Don't worry. And he goes, really? And I go, I don't know why. I think they're going to win. Because nothing up to that point had indicated they were going to come back and <laughs> score, particularly when they're sitting at the five-yard line. My favorite thing of that run, though, was Tyler Mitchell. Trucking along, trying to keep up with Skyler, like, I'm going to block for you. I'm going to block for you. And about 30 yards down the field, ah, screw it. I got to slow down because I'm an <laughs> offensive lineman, but I'm still running. And, and then Skyler started to turn out, and, and he's like, You're on your own. It's too bad Skyler wasn't Jesse and had that deceptive speed. But back to the question, I don't think it's about going for it on fourth down as much because it was so short, the play call itself. Skyler rolling out, oh. losing a bunch of yards, and then you know he gains it in the end. It should have been a quarterback sneak. It shouldn't have been no, whatever. They he couldn't did. because they weren't. The offensive line was losing the line of scrimmage. Normally, you would say a sneak or a handoff, but I mean honestly, thirty-two carries for thirty-three yards outside of that sixty-one-yard touchdown. And and you take out the yard he picked up on that play and the three yards for the touchdown or whatever it was. They were in the hole other than that last drive. So, no, you couldn't count on just going straight forward. So, if you were going to go for it, you had to get it on the edge. My mistake. I thought you just meant going Going for it. it. Yeah, I did too. You could have done the Winston Demo package. Just, what? what is it, three guys behind the quarterback and then just everybody just shoves and you, you crush your quarterback into a million pieces, but... He gets the first down. Or they could have handed it off to Jackson Neen, who I swear to God every week gets a little bit bigger. He might be an offensive lineman in a few years. It's too short. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. I just want to, like, roll him at people. <laughs> I mean, he does. Just taking him out at the legs. <laughs> Illegal chop block. He didn't do anything. It was just, just momentum. Yeah, he's just doing his thing. From AZ Cat 5 were you surprised when TCU put in Alex? Uh, yeah. It was such a K-State move. Everyone's been saying that. Hey, we're running the ball. We're moving it pretty well. Let's put in the running quarterback to throw. Momentum gone. I don't get – Gary Patterson's a smart coach. Like – I feel like he put him in as an obligation to play him. Thank you. I was going to say it too. It's, it, I don't know if he does that in any other game if they're that clicking that well offensively and Duggan's playing well if they're not in Manhattan facing K-State. And from the comments, I'd have to go back and look, but from the comments of K-State, they had something 
ready for Delton to come in as a runner, and I think they recognize it, so they switched to passing plays. It was bizarre. Man, I just... That was a very disappointing performance for Alex, obviously. Um, not for K-State. I mean, they did a good job against him, but I just felt like they didn't put him in a great position. It was almost exactly like what 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 was happening there between Skyler and Alex at the end where you get put in a tough position because they're ready to stop your your skill. And then when he only got the one series, like he didn't get another shot at it. It was weird. I, I felt kind of bad for him, but was happy that K-State didn't have to defend him because I felt like he might have broken a few. From Ricky Ticky Tavi, what is going on with the offensive line play? Were they really just that overrated? I don't think they're overrated. I just think they're having problems adjusting to the system. It looked good early on when they were clearly physically better, but they struggled at Mississippi State a little bit, but they were still physical. I don't feel like they're physical anymore, Riley. I don't get it. It's tough to put, like, it's tough to show what we mean when we say it, but the phrase. They're not mean anymore. They're not nasty anymore. It's very true. It almost feels like now they're just like, well, hey, as long as we don't lose yards and as long as Skyler doesn't get sacked, we'll be all right. No, you should be like, we need to pave the way for six, seven, eight yards of carry. We need to do that. I mean, they just, they've lost their spark, and I don't know what, what it is. Um, I don't know what's happening because Connor Riley is a good offensive line coach. And the times I've noticed – I'm seeing guys that are too upright. They're letting defenders get under their pad level. I'm I'm a little disturbed by what I'm seeing right now from that offensive line. If they don't clean it up and get a lot better, K-State's really going to struggle to get two more wins. The one that stuck out to me was if you watch Fast Five with Travis Tannehill on the site, if you're a VIP member, mm-hmm. you can you watch that. 30% off annual subscription. He points out it was one of, it was one of the ones where Skyler just got obliterated and lost like eight yards, I think, on a sack. Scott France didn't even didn't even look like he, he saw the guy. He kind of made a half effort to get I, like it was an awful play by Scott because he he didn't even get out there to to block the guy or even lay a finger on him. And that's just not something that Scott does. Scott's been really good for you know three years now, mm-hmm. and and he's been a smart tackle. And and he just he looked like a freshman there. So I don't know what's going on with him right now, but it's it's really disturbing and. You know, somebody posts on the boards this week that that the offensive line doesn't like Connor Riley, and I I'm not saying that that's not true. That one person might not have an issue with him, but unless these guys are really good liars, they all feel pretty comfortable with with Connor Riley. I think they like his system. Um, I just don't know what the like. I can't point to the issue, and every time you ask him about the issue, the only answer you can get is consistency. That's all they say. Well, they are very consistent. They're consistent at missing blocks. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't either. This is the podcast debut of Olm D. Welcome, Olm D. O-L-O-L-M-D-E-E. Welcome, Olm D. Third post to the site. Should be around more. Bonjour, from our French correspondent. (laughs) Do you have a French name? Pierre. The most he just thought of it. A M P A cliche. <laughs> oh no! 
Holm D asks, before the season began, Connor Riley said it's not unusual for him to rotate eight or nine players in and out of a game. He occasionally puts Josh Rivas in, and in my opinion, we play better with Rivas, but he's the only substitution other than one uh-huh. game. Obviously, the starters aren't getting the job done, so why isn't he playing the others? Because the others are even worse. Yeah. And basically, Kleiman said that at the press conference today. He talked about trying to get guys more rest and maybe move Tyler Mitchell out to tackle for a player or two. Uh, you know, I guess it was Scott France who got hurt earlier in the year, and they moved Coltmeyer to left tackle and put Mitchell to right tackle and put Rivas and... Uh, it's they've got six guys they feel good about, and the rest they don't feel good about. Maybe they've got some freshmen. Maybe they do. I, I don't know. I'm willing to go out and say it, and it's not calling anybody out. But I feel like I feel like we have been misled a little bit over the years in terms of the youth up and coming. You know, the freshmen that sign. Oh wow! In practice, this guy is really standing out. He might mm-hmm. compete for a starting spot. And he might be standing out in practice, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, if he's going up against the second string D-line or something like that or third string D-line, like, what does it mean? If he's hitting a bag real well, what does it mean? I th- I, th- I think the fact that they are not – the fact that this offensive line is struggling as much as it is and the fact that we are seeing these same six guys continue to struggle just goes to add to that, that – conspir- or not conspiracy – to that thought – yeah, the rest of the line is nowhere near what Connor Riley wants out of his out of his group, and he's just going to ride the ones that he trusts. At some point, I think the old staff was just like comparing their players to their players, so the best players look better than everyone else. I mean, it's the same thing. In a room full of four hundred pound men, I'm the skinny guy, <laughs> and you know that's just the way it is. When you compare things like that, someone's going to come out and be the best. This roster's in trouble, and there's no doubt about it. And They've got to rebuild it. I'm a fearful that next year will be really tough because it's not just going to be a young offensive line. It's going to be totally rebuilt. They're going to have Revis and a bunch of other guys, <laughs> some Juco players, and it's going to be a process. It's going to be a process. From Adam K 63 did Coach Messingham save the quarterback run game until the right time in the fourth quarter? So weird that it. How, how if like you mentioned on the on the Insiders podcast, if he was sitting on it that long, that's a lot of patience. Well, someone said that claimed that they ran it earlier in the game. I I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember that exact play, but yeah, yeah, they they got the you know Skyler talked about in post game. They got the exact look they wanted. And then Coach Kleiman talked about how they had done a better job covering the crossing routes um, across the middle. But to do so, they had to turn away from the quarterback, and they lost eyesight on on the quarterback. And boom, it all fell in place. And I've never seen a run that open. Never in my life have I seen the middle of the field so vacated by everyone. It was incredible. Does anybody remember, and uh, <coughs> might not, did he check to it? Does anybody remember that? I don't think so. I think it was a call. Okay, because I, I was going to say, man, if he checked to that, that was really impressive um, to see that. But, you know, I, 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 th- I agree with you. I think it was called. But. I mean, that, that feeling of having the play call, breaking the huddle, and then seeing the defense and going, this is the exact defense <laughs> we need for this play call. If if it took him that long and, and – Messingham knew in the back of his mind, like, all right, we're going to burn this at the right time. 
that was that was a pretty good play. He Messingham called a very good game. Yeah, it was his best, I think. Yeah. He finally mixed it up. Even though the running game was struggling, he set up he made a point with it. He didn't get away from it. I know they struggled, but they still made TCU commit to stopping it, and they didn't just abandon it. So there's something to be said about that. And and then, uh, you know, those play calls. Both routes were different and really well done on those touchdowns. Leonard's just, you know, popped the seam, and he was right there. And I thought Viking Gill ran a great route for that touchdown because he, he started to the flag, stepped in, stopped like he was going to just you know, catch the ball over the middle and then took up up, up that seam, and, and Skyler hit him. So Skyler was on the money when they really needed him. More Viking Gill, please. From Fervent Purple, Skyler seemed a little more comfortable in the TCU game. Was this because of extra time with the bye week prep, being more familiar with reading a four-man front defense, or something else? I think, I think he just got going early. I think he got the success he needed as we've stated multiple times he's he's a very mental player if mm-hmm. he he's not good at out think, or he's not good at overcoming it when things aren't going well because he thinks himself into poor decisions or or a bad you know whatever it is and you get the pump block from Alexander you get a play action tight end pass to a guy that's just couldn't have been more open and you hit him on a touchdown early I think that gets you going and you know I mentioned earlier stat line might not have been beautiful what was it 11 of 24 something like that but I mean he, he looked comfortable like like the question said he looks a lot more confident than he had in recent games um, and, and I really do think it was getting success early just sparked him there well I mean you can't define how important that blocked punt was that set them up for seven quick points and all of a sudden they're playing with a lead they never trailed in this game so that's a lot more comforting than when you fall behind and then oh it's two scores and now it's three scores and just kind of spirals from powercat ryan the staff seems to love joe irvin why are they still trotting harry out there i think harry trotter's a good running back still I think he's he does smart. some things they like, particularly being available in the passing game, although they did a good job. TC did a really good job of covering the backs. I need to do a better job of watching him, too, on pass protection. You know, if he's good. I, full disclosure, haven't exactly analyzed that part of his game totally. But he's A, he's, he's a guy that has plenty of experience on the field. Joe Irvin's a true freshman that's played, what, three games? So, yeah, he might be more athletic, he might be faster, all this stuff, but he's not going to have the experience that a guy like Harry Trotter has. And I think it's a little unfair to, to pin it all on Harry because of all the, the, the struggles of the offensive line that we mentioned earlier. You know, yeah, James Gilbert's still having a little bit of success, but that's just because he's a more powerful runner than Harry is. When you, when you can't get a hole, when you've got a defender right there when you get the ball, it's it's tough to get going when you're a guy like Harry. His game's just not equipped for that. I mean, Gilbert's got more experience. He's a little bit shiftier, so he's going to have some success. He can make people miss maybe, but, yeah, the, the running game's just dysfunctional. Last question of the first half from Wildcat Wabash. Please tell me I'm wrong, but after wrong. that TCU <laughs> after that TCU win, I feel even more convinced we won't be making a bowl game this year. Our offensive line can't block anyone in the Big 12 consistently. Skyler is missing wide open receivers on touchdown passes, and our defense has a problem tackling all year, and it seems to only be getting worse. Am I being too negative after a win? Yeah, the the tackling got better. I mean, it it wasn't 
markedly better, but they only had the one explosive play. Their longest pass completion was 17 yards. Their longest run by running back was 13 yards or something like that. It, I know at times it felt bad, and after the game, I was pretty harsh in the postgame podcast, but in hindsight, they did limit things with that defense. They didn't give up the huge plays. They showed some diversity in offense that they haven't done. They stayed committed to the run, even though it wasn't being overly successful, you know, and that, that makes a defense do things. Special teams came through. I get your point, but keep this in mind, too. K-State hasn't played the other three programs with new coaches that are going through some of the same things, the ups and downs, the inconsistencies. So let's get to those games. That Kansas game's huge. I want to see what KU does with Tech this weekend because now that Brent Deerman offense is more on film. If they'd been watching the Boston College game, they would have understood that Deerman was calling the plays <laughs> in that game despite NCAA rules because that – Look, they put up 48 points in both games. I mean, that's the only time they've had effective offense. But RPOs aren't like he and he split the atom. I mean, they might be good at them, but they're RPOs. Everyone does a form of them. And if you're not preparing in practice with your ends and safeties and understanding all their assignments and being loyal to that, you're probably going to struggle in the game. And Texas was being Texas and didn't care and just thought they could be Texas and get through, which they did. Let's see what Tech does with KU. Let's see how effective that KU offense. If KU trashes Tech with a bunch of yards and points, I'll be worried. Yes, I will, but they're still really winnable games. I truly believe K-State is a better team than KU and West Virginia. Both will be home games, although one will be in Lawrence. Um, and Tech, I'm not sure about. I can't figure them out. The game's in Lubbock, so maybe that one's a little more difficult. But they can win all three of those. They're not going to beat Texas. They're not going to beat Iowa State unless fluky things happen or a miraculous breakthrough happens. That's just the truth. I was going to say all of that, and you kind of summed it up. But, I mean, I the, the tackling thing, look, they were pretty bad at times. But when you miss four tackles on one play that they scored on, that – that tends to blow up the issues a little bit more. And obviously. hopefully it humiliated them enough. It, look, it's it's not like they're physically incapable of doing it. They are choosing not to listen to their coaches and tackle with proper fundamentals. I don't have much tolerance for that. Yeah, They've got to fix it, and the only way they fix it is listen to your damn coaches and do it right. Stop trying to go for the hit stick, man. I get it. It's cool. I get it. You get to put it on your film, but I'm, I'm sick of it, man. Nothing you do on that play will look nearly as good as the play looked for you in terms of being bad when you get trucked by a 180-pound, slow, white quarterback. <laughs> that should be humiliating. Mathematically, they're at four. So I not to sum up your question and oversimplify it, but – you should actually feel better. They are one step closer. Um, but like Fitz mentioned, they still have to play KU, West Virginia, Texas Tech is whatever they are. And you just never know when you're going to sneak up on somebody like KU sneaked up on Texas. Maybe K-State beats Iowa State. You know, I, I, I wouldn't say right now, but maybe they do. So you just never know when something like that's going to happen. 
six games left, I feel very good about them getting two. Even if they just struggle a lot, they will find two wins somewhere. I, I feel very confident saying that. That's it for the first half of the Powercat podcast this week. We're sponsored by The Fridge. That was sponsored by Tanner's in that segment. And we'll be back after this break with more of your questions from Wabash Station. And that segment will be sponsored by The High Low. Stay locked in. The Powercat podcast will be right back. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! We now send it back to Fitz in the WTC gig-powered studios. Welcome back to the Powercat Questions Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Tim Fitzgerald, Riley Gates, Zach Carlson, right here in the WTC Gig Powered Studios, which is warm today. I don't know why. I don't feel it's warm, but I think I'm sweating. But I always sweat. It's actually a condition. What? It is. Sweating? Yeah, like like if you just you can just sit there and just kind of sweat. Not like your head, like your armpits, your hands, things like that. It's it's a medical oh, condition. You're a chronic sweater. Yeah, okay. I went to, I went to a dermatologist to check it out. Did they prescribe you deodorant? Yeah, it burned myself. Then they suggested uh, plastic surgery and For, stuff like that. To do what? Just close up sweat glands, and I was like, Nah, I think I'll just sweat through my shirts. Can they new give you shirts. like Botox for that? Botox, that's what it was, not plastic surgery. I'm sorry, Botox, but it not cheap. Breaking. Riley Gates had Botox. Also, I don't think it's safe to close up your sweat glands. Just, it sweats out in other sweat glands. I don't know, want to know where that's going. <laughs> so I'll just sweat through my shirts and buy new ones every now and then. Well, we're off to a good start. And this isn't even the overtime. We're rolling here on the Questions Podcast. We're sponsored by The Fridge. Deal's so good, you won't sweat it. All I'm thinking about right now is that Montez Sweat Old Spice commercial. They're so good. <laughs> I know they are. You talk about marketing. Like, come on. How did nobody else jump in on this before? I have an endorsement deal. It's from the high-low. <laughs> it's true. They feed me pizza. I say nice things. It's a great trade-off, actually. Look at me. I'm making the most of it. Here we go. Your questions from Wildbass Station. Let's get this thing going because this is not the overtime, and it went in the crapper. Zach. A big welcome back to MECAT14, first time in a long time. Not making any excuses, the defense needs to wrap up and tackle better, but how frustrating is it for a defensive player to tackle a running quarterback knowing that he could slide at any moment, and if you touch him, it's a flag? Can you just insert the Ryan Black rant into here? Man. But, I mean, it's true. It's a joke that quarterbacks get this special treatment. 
if you haven't heard the Powercat Insiders podcast, you need to go listen to that. We talk about it quite a bit, but I didn't get to say everything I wanted to say because Ryan Black went on a rant that was fantastic. I think it ended with LeBron James. I don't know how we got there. Um, Max Duggan was faking the slide. You can see him do it earlier in the game. K-State would pull up because God knows once a guy starts a slide, you can't hit him. I think once they do that, the first time they do that, they should get an unsportsmanlike conduct um, call for that. It should be a 15-yard penalty. If they do it again, they should be told you are no longer afford the protection on a slide. You might as well just run through it because you don't get to slide and be protected. He was faking the slide to pick up extra yardage. And then when K-State got flagged, Elijah Sullivan launched into his tackle before the slide even started. Now, you know, the question is helmet to helmet. I'm like, I, you know, the laws of momentum pretty much override a lot of things if you're launched into the air before a guy even starts his defenseless slide. I thought it was a bullcrap call. I thought it was bullcrap that he got away with faking slides. And that needs to be addressed by the conference and by college officials. If you're going to afford them the protection of sliding, they cannot fake a slide. Make that motion where they look like they're putting their legs out and then keep running. That should be a unsportsmanlike conduct because that is not very sportsmanlike. First off, yeah, it wasn't head-to-head that they called, was it? No, it was just not, a late hit. It was unnecessary roughness or late hit or something like yeah, that. That's all so, it was. so you can't you can't even tell me that it was a head-to-head that they threw it for. They threw it because they thought he hit him after he'd given himself up. Look, I'm in the opinion when they started calling this rule, when they started protecting quarterbacks more in football, I was for it. I'm like, you know what? It's it's a position that you know they're going to be getting hit a lot. You don't want to be worn down, obviously, you know, in the NFL, there's money value to it. So you kind of need to protect the playmakers. But it's been so abused at this point that I'm ready to go the full opposite. You are on a football field. If you want to carry the ball, if you want the glory of scoring touchdowns, of whatever, you are no better than a running back, than a receiver, than a tight end. It's why do why do you need why? Why do you need to be protected more at this point? I don't think the slide helps you. I think the slide makes you completely vulnerable to exactly what happened. A guy that has already launched into his tackle is going to hit you when you're absolutely defenseless. If they want to be protected, die forward. Cover up the ball. Cover up your head. I mean, how many times have we seen a late hit, even if it's unintentional, bounce the quarterback's head off the turf and then you got a concussion? I wouldn't tell my quarterback to slide. One, you lose yardage. Two, I think you're more prone to inter- injury, not energy. If, I, if sliding gave you energy, I'd be sliding all over the place. Man, I, I'm just wussy football. Take the hit. Be a man, Zach. There's no sliding in this podcast studio. There should be no sliding on the football field. I don't know how that makes sense, but I'm going with it. All right. There you go. From Cat Rock, it seems that teams are attacking our power blocking scheme with three defensive linemen and sending one defensive end who stands up to attack the pulling lineman. Will our team adjust to this, or are we going to stick with the same plan of attack every game? Well, I think a lot of it depends on what defenses do. Are they going to continue to throw the three-man at them? Are, they, are some of them going to go four? Why would you throw four at this team at this know. point? That doesn't make any sense. I would I would continue to throw three 
at this line and, and make them beat you. But I don't see a major shift in philosophy coming because I think that they think this works. I think that they believe it can ha- happen. I just think I just think they're not executing, they're not getting the job done right now. Um, and we've seen it work. You know, I know it was against inferior opponents. I get that, and I'm not. I'm not discredit, or I'm not making that not a point, but it clearly worked against somebody, and I think it can work against everybody if you get your job done. But they're just they're just getting their butts kicked right yeah, now. They are. From Adam K sixty three is Wayne Jones a little more hesitant in delivering a hit after his penalty at Mississippi State? No, Wayne Jones went for the big hit. Wayne Jones went to get the highlight hit. If you're talking about the the breakaway play, but. I don't. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him do anything that makes me think, "Oh, he's afraid to hit because of that penalty." It's just one penalty. I wish they'd pop in some tape of old K State safeties and say, "This is how you do it, Wayne. These guys are legends." I think he's got talent. He does. He clearly has talent. They they won't take him off the field. They've got a good third safety in Jonathan Alexander, and yet they tend to persist with Wayne Jones. He should have come off the field. After that that play. But he was out there the next possession. I don't get it. From Queso Cat, why do analysts continue to call Dalton Schoen a possession receiver? He is averaging 17 yards per catch on his on his career. By comparison, Tylen Wallace, who is one of the best big play receivers in the Big 12, is averaging 17.2 yards per catch this season. Okay. First off, that's... It's a pretty interesting game to play to compare Dalton Schoen to Tylen Wallace. Yeah, because he doesn't have the explosive nature that a Tylen Wallace would. They might be averaging the same, roughly the same numbers. Dalton Schoen, they're they're not on the same page right now in terms of numbers that they've been targeting. Dalton Schoen has has 18 catches this year. Tylen Wallace has 45. Right. They throw the ball to him short, long, in, out. This is Dalton Schoen's whole career, though, is this stat. So we're we're going career to oh. season. Well, that's not. Well, he just he typically doesn't have the the foot speed to just flat out beat a corner. He's not a le- I mean, I love Dalton and I think he's a good receiver, but he's not a lethal receiving threat. No. He never has been. The only time he's ever gone on the the big play routes where he's broken away big, you know, is when he was in the slot as a sophomore, I think, and got wide open against Texas, got wide open against uh, some non-con. I mean, but he had other good receivers out there. Yeah, the the big guys were not covering him. He he's a quality receiver, and he's made some really good plays this year. That he had a comeback um, on that first possession of the second half. You know, I know they only ended up scoring three, but he had a great comeback on that route and got him a first down and eventually the field goal. So Dalton is doing exactly what I think is asked of him. But you cannot ask him to be the deep ball threat to be. Tylen Wallace, and and honestly, it's a little unfair to sit here and compare him to guys like Tylen Wallace, Jalen Rager, um, you know, the list goes on in the Big 12, CeeDee Lamb, because he's just not that player, and he never has been, and he never will be. From Infected Testicle, what would be considered a moral victory against Oklahoma? You catch them drinking, and you tell them about drinking's bad for you. (laughs) Why would we tell them that? Then they won't go to the fridge wholesale liquor. Oh, that's right. Well, I was just trying to think of morals. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, I think if you compete with them, you don't give up 
if you measure yourself against your previous performances, ability to block and tackle, if you if you feel like you step forward in those categories, I, I don't know if it's a moral victory, but it, showing progress in the face of a national title contender, I think, would be nice. If you don't let Jalen Hurts run crazy on you, which he will, then that's a moral victory. If you keep him bottled up, I don't know how you do it. Look, for me, it's not. I mean, we said going into Mississippi State, you know, we said just don't go get embarrassed. You know, you know don't get blown out on the scoreboard. And honestly, I carry a little bit of that into this Oklahoma game, but I also am of the opinion that, like, the score isn't. Look, they're going to lose. The score isn't all that crucial to me. It is about. Did you run the ball better in this game? Because you are atrocious at running the football right now. Mm-hmm. Did you wrap up better? You know, did you did did Jalen Hurts go for big touchdown runs because he had a great hole and the line blocked well and he, he just out schemed you, or did Jalen Hurts go for a big touchdown run because Wyatt Hubert missed him and then Elijah Sullivan missed him and then he beat Wayne Jones and Denzel? You know, how did those plays come about? And it's it's not going to be something you can measure on paper, in my opinion. We're not going to be able to look at the stat book at the end of the ge- at the end of the game and go, yeah, that was an improvement. You're going to have to watch. See, unfortunately, you're going to have to watch 60 minutes of this game, even if it gets ugly. And I think if you do that, I think you can actually point out the fact that yeah, we got better in this game. But if you continue to regress, I mean, even against Oklahoma, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. If you go from 2.8 yards a carry to 2.2 yards a carry, or whatever those numbers are at, mm-hmm. going to be pretty disappointed. Yeah. From Purple Powerhouse going forward, which games are the must-win games? Purple Powerhouse thinks KU and West Virginia for sure. Not sure if we've got the weapons to win any of the rest realistically, but he hopes he's wrong. Texas Tech has. I'm not. I can't figure them out. They're good, but they're not. Be, they're not unbeatable. Right. Um. But I, I agree with him. You have to beat KU and West V. Like you, you just want to beat KU, no matter what. You can't let them have that. It's going to set a dangerous precedent moving forward if they lose KU. Mm-hmm. That's a recruiting tool for 12 months yep. right there. It's unfair to call Iowa State a must-win. But what have they shown that really makes you think they're unstoppable? I mean, their points per game have gone up this year. Surprisingly, I don't get it. Well, they've gotten they've they've turned it around from struggling in the middle of that schedule to now they're really racking it up. Their stats are also a tiny bit skewed because they put up like 77 points against UL Monroe in week 3 or 4. So take it with a grain of salt, but they do look better. So no, I guess I can't. I can't say must win. I'm going to retract on that. I can't consider it a must win, but I think that you could and almost should win that game. Probably only two must wins though on there is Westview and, and KU. From Purple Cheese, if we played KU this weekend, do you think we win? Yeah. I mean, it'd be tougher. I don't know, man. I I want another game in there to put more on film of this KU offense. Yeah, I do too. He's got some good offensive tools. They got a good running back. They got a couple nice receivers. Andrew Parchment is a dog. Yep. I don't. I I think that yes, it's a little bit more touch and go now. It's a little bit more unsure. But I also didn't. Well, let's also take into account the fact that Texas was banged up. Number one, they were very banged up on defense. 
Number two, guy, and, and I think this has been mentioned before, they always do this. Texas doesn't take anybody seriously, and it doesn't matter if for 10 straight years they underestimated opponents. They're still going to do it every single game against an, an inferior opponent. So, look, I, I think a lot of Brent Deerman. I would really appreciate it if somebody would come pick him out of Lawrence because I don't think that's good for K-State fans if Brent Deerman stays in Lawrence very long. I think he has the the tools to get KU's offense back on track. But I'm also not looking at this team and going, wow, because they made a change at offensive coordinator, suddenly they have a, a, a strong defense, and suddenly Carter Stanley is a is a whiz. You no, know, I, I think that they're being better utilized, but I don't think KU is still a better or is yet is still yet a better team. There we go. Than K State. I just think K-State is in a little bit of a tough place, and I think they just need one dominant game to get back, and that could be KU, honestly. Mm-hmm. They gave up 50 points. I mean, yeah, yeah, they, they lost. They gave up 50 points. So there's stuff there. I just want to see them, if they can keep doing these things on offense once they get put on film. And I don't. I mean, they're not doing anything. The RPO has been around forever. Not I know forever, he quote but. wrote the book on the RPO. He was at a school I didn't know existed. <laughs> I didn't even know the school he was at because I thought he was at the Bethel in Kansas. He was at a Bethel in Kentucky. Who knew? I mean, he's just he's a good offensive mind and a future Vanderbilt head coach. Write that down. <laughs> when Derek Mason gets fired this Write year. Write that down. Look, like I said, the RPO Yes, it's a very amazing play. It, it's doing wonders for KU. It's doing wonders for a lot of people out there right now. But they've people have seen it. My God, it's it's been a thing. It, that was like when that's like when everybody acts like uh, you know Oregon or somebody invented the Wildcat. Bill Snyder was doing the Wildcat in the '90s, but nobody knew. I mean, like, K State's done a lot of run pass option in the past. Yeah, it's it's a thing. He just he's pretty damn good at it. Once you show your tendencies, people can figure it out. From Imonica, I know we have bigger problems to worry about, and this may not be the most significant statistic, but is our NFL draft streak in jeopardy? I think it's flirting with it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I had Scott France penciled down for a third or fourth round pick this year, and now I'm at seventh to undrafted. Mm -hmm. And I don't see any other offensive linemen. Trey Deshaun is very good, but he just doesn't have the NFL defensive tackle body. Same for Jordan Mitty. Reggie Walker's been a failure this year. And, yeah, Devin Anktel is probably your best shot, and nobody's going to draft a punter. They're going to pick him up as Once an Once in a while they do. If, they, if it's a bad punting team and they see someone with a live leg, they might take him late. I mean, honestly, man, that is your best shot right now. And I love Devin, and, and I think he will be a great NFL punter. But... I'm just talking as trying to put on my NFL GM hat here. I'm looking at the drafts and I'm saying, all right, I'm going to wait until the sixth round at best to take him because I don't need a punter that bad and I can go find one that's almost that good in the undrafted pool and I'll roll my dice and, and hopefully get him as an undrafted free agent. It's going to be interesting. The saving grace, Jordan Brown comes back for the last half of the season and breaks out into stardom and gets drafted. I mean, could... I don't know. James Gilbert's not going to be drafted, no, I guess. Not fast no. enough. Not big enough, not fast enough. And it's in danger. Uh, yikes. Watch it be somebody that wasn't even mentioned just now. 
Um, you know what? If he goes to the combine or he goes, he train, he tests well for teams coming in. Daquan Patton, despite results on the field, has the physical tools that I can see an NFL team going. We want him. Man, you can go back through the guys that got a shot because they had physical tools, and then they kind of got over the hump once they got to the league. I mean, Emmanuel Lemure. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kevin Huntley at defensive end. He he had his moments at K State, but he played for few years because he was a beast. And I guess you can throw in the fact that Tavon Rooks was the one that extended it in 2014 yeah. and he wasn't even the best offensive lineman on that team that, that was in the NFL. still baffles me. The streak should have been dead in 2014 because Tavon Rooks should not have been drafted. <laughs> then the Bryce Brown year also helps. Yeah. They need to asterisk that. I'm sorry. That's crap. Sorry. This is his last college. It counted. He quit. It counted. He literally walked out on the team, and now they use him as a poster child. It all counts. A couple questions, a couple basketball questions to wrap up the podcast from AZCAT05. Are the Cats deserving of a ninth-place preseason Big 12 ranking? Would you know. like to go before I rant a little bit? I don't know what else I would. I mean, I probably wouldn't pick them ninth, but I think some people out there have unrealistic expectations for this team. I think success is being in the middle of the conference this year. You get to 5-6, means you're on the bubble of the tournament. I think that's a good season for what they have and how they're kind of rebuilding. You know, it's, it's just a reality. Uh, I don't vote in these things, and, you know, I, it's kind of a muddled mess below KU. There's some teams better than other teams, and but K-State seems low at 9, but I don't know who to say would be Below them, I would put teams below them, but go, Riley. Kansas State doesn't even return 30 points per game. Yeah. They, people... they lost 38.5 points per game off of a team that put up 65.8 points per game. It's not all about scoring, especially at Kansas State, but you have to put up points, obviously. Well, they got by with low scoring because their defense was so good. And their defense isn't going to be nearly what it was with those seniors that had played that defense for years. Bingo. Look, I I love Xavier Sneed, and I think he's going to have an NBA future. I love Hopefully Car- an NFL future, he gets drafted. <laughs> I love Cartier Jada, and I think he's very athletic. But facts are facts. Cartier Jada has not been in this role before. Even when he was starting and Cam was coming off the bench, it wasn't the same role because you always had Cam there. And plus, people didn't know that much about Cartier because, you know, he had the season where he didn't play the whole year. Last year was a little bit interesting. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not sold on Cartier. I clearly am. I'm not sold on him yet in this role. I just need to see how he handles it. Facts are facts that you might be starting two freshmen on this team. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty scary. Also... Stop throwing out the fact that they won the Big 12 last year. I get it. Yes, it sucks that you went from Big 12 champions to predicted almost dead last, but you're not the same as Texas Tech. Why? Texas Tech brought in a million times better recruiting class, and they played for the national championship last year, brought back some of their pieces, not all the key pieces, but they brought back a few from that national championship team. It's not the same. Championship contending team. Runner-up. Runner-up. Whatever. It's not the same. And I know know it sounds like I'm just railing on K-State, but I wouldn't have put them any higher than seventh. I did a poll with C.J. Moore from The Athletic. I put them at eight. I I don't have anything that – now, I think they'll finish higher than ninth. I do. 
but I don't know if they'll finish higher than sixth. I see them right in that eight and ten, seven and eleven, nine and nine range, somewhere in there. What's it's interesting about it is I'm criticized as being a Bruce hater, and they're probably only to age Bruce. I'm being very realistic here, but I am the most optimistic about Kansas State basketball that I've been at any point because I see a future. I don't see it kind of pieced together year by year. These This recruiting class and next year's recruiting class are the most tangible influx of talent he's had at K-State. He, had, he picked up some great pieces when he took over, and he made the most of it. Then he reloaded after some bad years, and those guys were cornerstones of the program for three, four years, and then they won a championship in their senior year. That's great, but I'm not into constantly reloading that takes three or four years to get there. I want to see results, and I think next year they'll be better. But right now... It, it's a little more tangible to me, particularly if they come back a year from now and put another good recruited class together in 21. So I'm just telling people, be patient. This really will be a process. I don't like the fact that you have to rebuild so much after, um, you know, being this far in your tenure at Kansas State and winning a Big 12 championship that you lose that much of it. But it's the reality. Show some patience. Don't get over uh, hyped about your expectations. And I don't think they're a ninth-place team. Bruce is too good of an X's and O's coach. He does a really good job of not being awful. That sounds like a backhanded compliment. But there are games when you would think they would just collapse or times when they'd be really bad. And he gets them. He massages them. He handles them. He gets them there. He's really good at that. So they're, they're going to be better than people think, but they're not going to be in the top four in this conference. I'll be stunned if they are, because if they are, holy cow, the future is incredible. That means Xavier Steen, Cartier Jada have blown up. That means the freshmen are really good. That means Levi Stockard came to life like Frankenstein's beast and got up and started doing stuff. And Mikhail Moline started playing like we know he can, but he doesn't. For whatever reason, nobody can figure out why. That means a lot of things went right if they turned out to be a top three or four team in this conference. You're setting yourself up for disappointment, and you're setting Bruce Weber up to be criticized heavily if you anticipate this team being third or fourth in the Big 12 this year. Because they're, that would require 12 wins, 13 wins, not maybe 12 or 11 wins. And I'm not saying they can't get there. I'm just saying I don't expect them to be there easily. So when they go to Ames and lose, or when they welcome in Baylor and lose in Manhattan, then you're going to overly criticize. What the hell? We were supposed to be the fourth best team in the conference this year. If that's where your expectation is. I'm not saying you should expect less. I'm not saying you should settle for mediocrity or, or ninth place. But I don't. I think you just need to take a step back from the Big 12 championship, give it your realistic thoughts, and give them a fair shot at, at being placed in the polls, and you know, that's six to nine in my book. Just that's just my opinion. Last question of the podcast from KSU number one: the what is the non-conference men's game that is a must-win for tournament purposes? Hmm. Hmm. See, it's not the the how many how often have they won a game? <clears throat> Excuse me. I've never looked at their non-conference wins and said like wow that put them on the bubble pull it up read it off because i want you to understand this 
Bruce Weber has been very realistic about this. He knows this is a retooling year. This non-conference schedule does not put them in a position to be in the NCAA tournament. They're nope. not going to get those wins with this schedule unless someone really blows up and it's better than what anyone imagined. That means they're going to have to really, really do well in the Big 12. And we just said we don't see that happening. I don't think this is an NCAA tournament team, even at 500 in the Big 12, because I don't think they're going to have the resume to get in unless they knock off Kansas and and do some miraculous things. Because below Kansas, are there any high-value wins in the Big 12 this year, Riley? If Baylor meets expectations, maybe. Maybe. Maybe, but not like you're going to get a huge boost out of it. Maybe they go on such a surge and run, you catch them when they're number one, like K-State did with Oklahoma a few years ago, and you knock them off, and it looks better at the time than it really turns out to be. They've got one game on their non-conference schedule. Maybe, I don't know, but I don't know enough about UNLV right now. Sorry, so North Dakota State, Summit League champs, but nah. Nah. Okay, at UNLV, Monmouth, Arkansas Pine Bluff. It's Monmouth. Then you've got your your Fort Myers tip-off tournament. So you've got Pitt in the first round, and Pitt's still in this rebuilding with Jeff Capel. They're not quite there yet. We'll get there. Bradley and Northwestern is the other two teams that (laughs) you'll play one of them. Yikes. Florida A&M. Marquette is a good game. If you can get Marquette, that'll help you because they have, I believe they still have Marcus Howard and that guy's an animal. So if you get Marquette, that would be a, a big boost. Alabama state, Mississippi state, not a good basketball team. St. Louis, not a good football team either. <laughs> St. Louis and Tulsa. I look at the schedule, the non-conference schedule and I see quality opponent in North Dakota state because they do return literally everybody. I mean, that'll help your your rating, your RPI, whatever they're using now. I see going to UNLV as a bit of a boost because it's on the road. It's a true road game. I'll, I'll be there for you folks. I think. I see Marquette as a boost. So to answer your question, it would be Marquette because that's really the only game of hyper value not even hyper-value, of value on the non-conference schedule. St. Louis, Tulsa, UNLV, Mississippi State, all names, sort of, and not a lot of value there. North Dakota State, not a great basketball name, but some some value there because they might be the best team in the conference. So I, it's, I'm not saying it's, an, it's not the worst non-conference schedule he's had in three years, three, four years, but it's also not one that's littered with big wins to kind of boost you up over the hump. You need to get out of there with maybe one loss in the non-con, uh, two at worst, mm-hmm. and then rattle off probably ten wins in conference play to make the tournament. Mm, I don't know that maybe nine. I mean, you just said they weren't. At, you just said at five hundred, they're not. Well, not. I mean, they can go to Kansas City and pick up a winner. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, let's say ten wins against Big Twelve competition. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. There's just not a lot of value on that. He didn't pull a Jim Wolderidge in which there's absolutely no value on your non-conference schedule. I mean, again, I think it's a a fine schedule. I think it'll be kind of entertaining at times, but the bottom is really bad. Florida A&M, yikes. They're the Rattlers. Do you think we can get the Marching Cobras back for that one? That was great. 
when they played. Oh, hold on. No, it was – they played Florida A&M in Kansas City at one point. Yeah. They had a high school band play for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was awesome. And then the Marching Cobras, too. I miss the Marching Cobras. That is that – is, the Marching fact, Cobras was my childhood coming to K-State basketball games. Little known fact, they're not actually Cobras. What? Yeah, those are human beings. There you go. That'll wrap up the podcast now that I've acknowledged you. That's a verb. Knowledge. As you said, acknowledged. No, it's a verb. I acknowledged you. Gave you knowledge. Ah, knowledge. Duh. Knowledged. Yeah. That's it. Thank you, Hilo. Thank you, Tanners. And thank you to the fridge. Because when I need you, you're always there. Unless it's after 11. You've been listening to the Power Cat Questions podcast presented by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Power Cat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.